0: chapter fifty two of the creators a comedy by Mason sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter fifty two before long Broderick was aware that that month of spring had brought him the thing he most desired he was appeased again with the hope of fatherhood it tided him over the bad months of nineteen seven over the intolerable hours that levine was giving him in the office of the monthly review it softened for him the hard fact that he could no longer afford his expensive dream the old reckless personal ambition the fantastic pride had been overtaken by the ambition and the pride of race he wanted to found not a great magazine but a family to have more and more children like the solid little son they had called john henry Broderick the child justified the double name the blood of the brodricks ran in him pure he flattered the racial and paternal pride he grew more and more the image of what Brodrick had been at his age it was good to think that there would be more like him broderick's pride in beholding him was such that he had almost forgotten that in this question of race there would be jane to reckon with in december in the last night of nineteen seven a second son was born a son so excessively small and feeble that the wonder was how he had contrived to be born at all Broderick, when he first looked at him had a terrible misgiving supposing he had to face the chances of degeneration there could be only one opinion of course as to the cause and the responsibility he did not require henry to tell him that not that he could think of it just then he could think of nothing but jinny pausing again uncertain though for a shorter time before the dreadful open door nineteen eight was the year when everything happened jinny was hardly out of danger when there was a crisis in the affairs of the monthly review levine who had been pestering his brother-in-law for the last eighteen months was pressing him hard now the review was passing out of brodrick's hands when it came to the point he realized how unwilling he was to let it go he could only save it by buying levine out and he couldn't do that as the father of a family he had no business to risk more money on his unprofitable dream it was impossible to conceal from jane the fact that he was worried she saw it in his face she lay awake retarded somewhat in her recovery by the thought that she was responsible for that and all his worries he had lost money over the review and now he was going to lose the review itself owing she could perfectly well see to her high-handed editorship it would go to his heart she knew to give it up he had been so attached to his dream it would go to her heart too it was in his dream, so to speak that he had first met her it had held them they had always been happy together in his dream it was his link with the otherwise inaccessible and intangible elements in her the elements that made for separation she was determined that whatever went his dream should not go she could not forget that it had been she who had all but wrecked it in its first precarious year when she had planted george tanqueray on an infatuated editor she had saved it then and of course she could save it now it wasn't for nothing that she had been celebrated all these years and it wasn't for nothing that hugh poor dear had been an angel refusing all these years to take a penny of her earnings for the house he hadn't married her for that. And there they were, her earnings, diminished by some advances to her father's impecunious family and by some extravagances of her own, but still swollen by much saving to a sum more than sufficient to buy Louis out. Her genius, after all, was a valuable asset. She lay in bed, embracing that thought and drawing strength from it before she was well enough to go out she went and confronted louis in his office levine was human he always had been and he was moved by the sight of his pale sister-in-law risen from her bed dangerously to do this thing he was not hard on her he suffered himself to be bought out for a sum less than she offered a sum that no more than recouped him for his loss he didn't want he said to make money out of the thing he only wanted not to lose he was glad to be quit of it brodrick was very tender to her when lying in bed again recovering from her rash adventure she told him what she had done but she divined under his tenderness an acute embarrassment she could see that he wished she hadn't done it and wished it not only for her sake but for his own she could see that she had not in nineteen eight repeated the glorious success of nineteen three the deed he thought so adorable when she did it in the innocence of her unwedded will he regarded somewhat as impermissible in his wife then by its sheer extravagance it was flattering to his male pride now by the same conspicuous quality it was not as for his family it was clear that they condemned the transaction as an unjustifiable and fantastic folly brodrick was not sure that he did not count it as one of the disasters of nineteen eight the year was thick with them there was jane's collapse jane by a natural perversity had chosen nineteen eight of all years to write a book in she had begun the work in the spring and had broken down with the first effort it was not only jane there was jane's child so lamentably unlike a broderick the shedding of his first crop of hair was followed by a darker down revealing jane not that anybody could have objected to jane's hair but there was jane's delicacy an alarming tendency to waste an incessant violent inveterate screaming proclaimed him her son the heir of an unstable nervous system jane's time and what strength she had were divided between her sick child and mabel broderick for in this dreadful year mabel had become worse her malady had declared itself there were rumors and hushed hints of a possible operation henry was against it he doubted whether she would survive the shock it was not to be thought of at present not as long as things he said remained quiescent john Broderick, as he waited had grown greyer he was gentler also and less important less visibly the unsurprised master of the expected the lines on his face had multiplied and softened in an expression as of wonder why this unspeakable thing should have happened to him of all men and to his wife of all women poor mabel who had never done anything that was the way they put it now among themselves mabel's shortcoming she had never done anything to deserve this misery lying on her couch in the square solid house in augustus road wimbledon mabel covered her nullity with the imperial purple of her doom in the family she was supreme by divine right of suffering again every day jane trod the path over the heath to wimbledon and sometimes henry found her at john's house and drove her back in his motor he had a motor now once boxed up with him in the closed car it was march and the wind was cold over the heath she surprised him with a question henry is it true that if mabel had had children she'd have been all right yes he said curtly wondering what on earth had made her ask him that it's killing her then not having them that he said and the desire to have them how cruel it is how detestable that she should have this it's nature's revenge jane on herself and she was so sweet she would have loved them the doctor brooded he had a thing to say to her jinny if you'd put it away altogether that writing of yours you'd be a different woman different you'd be happier and what's more you'd be well too perfectly well this is not the advice i should give you he went on addressing her silence if you were an unmarried woman i urge my unmarried patients to work to use their brains all they can and married ones too when they've no children if poor mabel had done something it would have been far better but in your case it's disastrous jane remained silent she herself had a premonition of disaster her restlessness was on her her nerves and blood were troubled again by the ungovernable tyrannous impulse of her power it was not the year she should have chosen but because she had no choice she was working through everything secretly in defiance of henry's orders she wondered if he knew he was looking at her keenly as if he had at any rate a shrewd suspicion i hardly think he said it's fair to hugh henry was sure of his facts and her silence made him surer she was at it again and the question was how to stop her the question was laid that night before the family committee it met in the library at moore grange almost by Brodrick's invitation broderick was worried he had gone so far as to confess that he was worried about jane she wanted to write another book he said and he didn't know whether she was fit of course she isn't fit said the doctor it must be stopped she must be made to give it up altogether brodrick inquired who was to make her and was told that he was he must put his foot down he should have put it down before but brodrick being a brodrick took an unexpected line i don't know he said slowly that we've any right to dictate to her it's a big question and i think she ought to be allowed to decide it for herself she isn't fit said henry to decide anything for herself broderick sent a level look at him you talk said he as if she wasn't responsible i should be very sorry to say who is and who isn't responsibility is a question of degree i say jane is not at the present moment in a state to decide it sounds said broderick laughing in his bitterness very much as if you thought she wasn't sane of course i know she'd put a check for a hundred pounds into a drawer and forget all about it but it would be more proof of insanity in Jinny if she remembered it was there it would indeed said sophie we're not discussing ginny's talent for finance said henry i suppose said broderick what we are discussing is her genius i'm not saying anything at all about her genius we've every reason to recognize her genius and be proud of it it's not a question of her mind it's a question of a definite bodily condition and as you can't separate mind from body he shrugged his shoulders well there you are i won't say don't let her work it's better for her to use her brain than to let it rust but let her use it in moderation moderation not those tremendous books that take it out of her are you sure they do take it out of her tanqueray says she'll be ill if she doesn't write em. tanqueray what does he know about it more than we do i suspect he says the normal healthy thing for her is to write to write tremendous books and she'll suffer if we thwart her he says we don't understand her does he suggest that you don't understand her asked sophie roderick smiled i think he was referring more particularly to henry henry tried to smile he's not a very good instance of his own theory look at his wife that only proves that tanqueray's books aren't good for his wife not that they aren't good for Tanqueray. Besides, Prothero says the same thing. Prothero? He ought to know. He's a doctor. Henry dismissed Prothero with a gesture. Look here, Hugh. It simply comes to this either there must be no more books or there must be no more children. You can't have both. There shall be no more children. As you like it. I don't advise it. Those books take it out of her more. He lowered his voice i consider her last book responsible for that child's delicacy Broderick flinched visibly at that i don't care the doctor went on what prothero and tanqueray say they can't know they don't see her no more do you you're out all day i shouldn't know myself if gertrude collette hadn't told me oh gertrude collette nobody more likely to know she's on the spot watching her from hour to hour what did she tell you why that she works upstairs in her room for hours when she's supposed to be lying down She's doing it now probably gertrude knows that for a fact a fact and she knows it was done last year too before the baby was born and i know said brodrick fiercely it was not have her in said sophie and ask her brodrick had her in and asked her gertrude gave her evidence with a gentle air of surprise that there could be any doubt as to what mrs Broderick had been up to this year at any rate she flushed when Broderick confronted her with his certainty as to last year she could not in the face of Broderick's certainty speak positively as to last year she withdrew herself hastily as from an unpleasant position and was followed by sophie levine there's nothing for it said henry but to tell her about the child about the child there was a terrible pause will you tell her said brodrick or shall i i'll tell her i'll tell her now but you must back me up brodrick fetched jane he had found her as gertrude had said she was heavy-eyed and dazed with the embraces of her dream but when she saw the look that passed between hugh and henry her face was one white fear the two were about to arraign her she took the chair that henry held for her then he told her and brodrick backed him up with silence and a face averted it was not until henry had left them together that he spoke to her don't take it so hardly jenny he said it's not as if you knew i might have known she answered she was thinking george told me that i should have to pay that there'd be no end to my paying end of chapter fifty two recording by expatriate in bangor maine